Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Divya Inna and welcome to another episode of Talk Water. The month of December is here finally. And if you're anything like me, you're probably saying, welcome December, I've been waiting. You might think that a year as chock full of newsworthy events as 2019 would feel like it blazed by in a flash. Yet for many of us, January feels like it was eons ago. So what do you think? Did 2019 fly by or did it drag on? For me, the answer is strangely both. And interestingly, I'm not the only one who thinks this way. From talking to a couple of friends and family, I figure it's because humans share a complicated relationship with time. Our brains judge time indirectly, mostly through two processes, attention and memory. Yes, time flies when you're having fun, but mainly because your mind is distracted and the year certainly has had no shortage of distractions. So why doesn't it seem like it flew by? The answer is memory. When we look back and think about how time has progressed, our perception of time is based not on attention, but on how many meaningful events we can recall. The more things we can remember filling a certain span of time, the longer that span feels. So consider yesterday, for example. Most people, if prompted, will characterize the previous day by two or three highlight events, making it feel relatively short. But now, think about some additional events. What you ate for meals, what did you do before and after those meals, where you went during the day and how you got there. Usually, as your memory fills in with more events, the day begins to feel like it lasted longer. And, you know, we've been doing a lot of this lately at Blue Tech, looking back at 2019 and reflecting on what we've seen, heard and talked about. And in this episode, we'll share some of our big ideas from 2019. So let's hear from Paula Callan on some highlights from this year. So one of the first things we present are some top papers from a conference called WebTech. It's the largest water technology conference in the world. It's held annually. It's one of many that we go to over the course of a year. And when we do that, we tend to distill the key findings of that conference. If you stand back from it and you look, okay, what was 2018 like versus 2017 versus 2019? Oftentimes you can see things on the upward trend or they're dropping off. And that's what this is meant to show that if you look at granular sludge from 2017, followed by 2018, 2019, you can see it went from three papers to seven papers to 17. And gradually, the industry talks itself into different technologies and ideas and topics. And that then paves the way for adoption. So that is significant when you see the papers increasing. It's usually an early indicator that the market's ready or getting primed for use of that technology. You'll see some similar trends with um, parasitic acid. It's been relatively high for the past number of years. Big jump there though is smart water, digital and IoT. If you look at those terms collectively, it went from 11 papers to 43 to 40. Other events that we attended this year which are noteworthy would be Stockholm International Water Week. Generally more focused on policy, politics, NGOs. There's a shift there from being more a policy focused to more market technology focused, which is significant in that if they look at the what was the bottom of the pyramid, but is now the emerging middle, where they're low income, but they have some income. The key idea here is there is a market where you solve their water crisis in terms of their need for drinking water and sanitation is to find some market-based mechanism that allows them the opportunity to pay for that service. And if you can do that, suddenly you, you solve that problem of the 5 billion people in the middle, 2.5 billion who do not have access to sanitation and you know a billion that have no access to uh, drinking water. That's coupled with a broad shift towards decentralized treatment. And what we're seeing is 
there are very tangible real examples now out there of where this is being utilized. We saw this in Chennai in India, which was the center of a day zero water crisis this year, where apartment complexes are increasingly just going off grid because they have no other choice. It's either that or they wait for tankers. The black water was also being treated to a, a Title 22 type standard and used to recharge the aquifer and we have an on-site drinking water treatment plant. And what's significant here is I don't think they're doing this because they heard at WEFTEC or they heard at Singapore Water Week that decentralized was a, an exciting theme. They did it out of necessity and because it's practical and it made sense. In California and San Francisco, the same thing is happening. You know, that's a new world, but it's an old city. The city was founded in 1770. You'd say it's difficult to go off grid when you have built infrastructure that's been around for over 100 years. They're doing it one building at a time. This is the Salesforce Tower, which is an iconic building in San Francisco. Viewed collectively, whether we're looking at Chennai, new residential complexes or skyscrapers, change is already starting to, to take place. On the industrial side, the zero liquid discharge market is continuing to gain pace and to gather momentum. One textile mill in Tamil Nadu in India, center of textile manufacturing, particularly for cotton, and I think issues came to a head there in 2011 when the government shut down 60 textile mills and said you're not reopening until you figured out a way to not discharge water into this river. You roll the clock forward to today and the textile mills have come together in cooperatives, put in centralized, what they call a CETP, a common effluent treatment plant, take their wastewater, treat it to reuse standards, recover the salt, which is used in the dyeing process and then is taken out of the wastewater and used back in the dyeing process again. It's a good story in that 90% of their water is now from reuse, so is the salt. The groundwater table is actually rising back up into a report, which is contrary to the general trend in India of groundwater tables dropping. And, and the river is certainly improving. I mean, I think it would be stretched to say it's perfect, but it's certainly on, well on the way to recovery, that's for sure. And we see this similar trend though across the board, whether it's Mexico City with cosmetics companies like L'Oreal or in Southeast Asia um, with food and beverage companies. It's driven by need for the most part, but it's certainly an increasing trend. Um, speaking of need, I think we tend to look at what are the crisis-driven markets and that water does tend to react in fits and starts based on a crisis. And you know, whether we like it or not, that is the reality. And I think anyone who's been tracking the space at all can't help but have noticed that PFAs or fluoroalkyl substances are the contaminant of the moment. They are the new hexavalent chrome. In the United States, it's reaching fever pitch in terms of political awareness. There's two bills at the moment, one in the House of Representatives in Congress and the other in the Senate, focused on trying to bring regulations forward to deal with PFAs. The more we look, the more prevalent they are. There's a movie coming out called Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo in it. Uh, there's a Netflix documentary on it. I mean, all of these things build public sentiment and they're not there, there are guidelines for them for their removal. They're not entirely regulated yet. You can also see the number of papers has been increasing. If we look at papers at WEFTEC, it went from 2018 up to 2019. All of those things would point to 
potential for a crisis-driven market. Moving on. Now, there's an expression in English that the early bird gets the worm. But there's another expression, which is more apt, in that the second mouse gets the cheese, in that somebody else may spring the trap and somebody else calls as a beneficiary. So with that in mind, we've gone back to look at the companies in our innovation tracker database to find out who are the rising stars in 2020, who are the new kids in the block, and so on. So let's start with the rising stars. Many of you might remember the company Axine Water Technologies out of Canada, developing an electrochemical oxidation technology. Now, since they were founded in 2013, their focus has been to address COD concentrations of up to 10% COD or more. And the value proposition is to be able to treat small volume, high concentration streams at low cost compared to other alternatives. Now, we think this is a company worth watching as since being founded, they've managed to acquire government funding of $1 million, they won contracts in the pharmaceutical sector and just, in fact, in the last couple of weeks, they've completed a long-term test program to validate their electrochemical oxidation technology. And there's there's a couple more we can point to that we've identified on our platform. But for those who haven't heard about the new kids in the block, a company called Glanris from the US, working in the area of specialty adsorbents, targeting organics and metals are also ones to watch. Now, their media is a hybrid between adsorbent and ion exchange materials made from rice hull, interestingly. The media is projected to have advantages such as faster kinetics, higher removal rates, media regeneration, and and could potentially disrupt an already well-established market of adsorption and ion exchange. That's one to watch. Now, for every new company that comes in, There may be one that disappears, and that's what unfortunately happened with Rayvio, a UV LED company from the US. UV LED technology is a discontinuous type of innovation because it allows us to disinfect in a totally new way, essentially replacing chlorine. But despite the promising and exciting new technology, Rayvio's commercialization took longer than anticipated, and that is sometimes the unfortunate realities of business. So as we scan the market for examples of disruptive innovation, One thing we found is that things are never straightforward. We found examples where a company failed, but a technology lived on and went on to doing very well. One such company is Optiqua. A company originally founded in Singapore in 2005 had declared themselves bankrupt back in June, but they seem to have appeared almost risen from the ashes like a phoenix, if you like, and have come back now, backed with financial investment from Demcon and Oost NL. So hopefully that sums up how busy 2019 has been and through 2020 we'll continue to track companies like this giving you a sense for who's slowing down who's picking up pace and who've fallen out of the scene on that note i would like to invite our editor-in-chief reese owen to say a couple of words on what blue tech have been looking at the past month reese over to you well uh this month we've been Looking back as well as looking back into 2019, we've been looking even further back into research into algal wastewater treatment. That's been going on for decades and it's always been uh, claimed to be cheaper and less energy intense than conventional wastewater treatment with the added benefit of the ability to use algal biomass as biofuel or fertilizer or or animal feed. However, there's been very little or almost no commercial growth now, Bluetech has done a horizon scan into some of the more recent technology offerings that could start to slowly change that paradigm. So we're investigating the different technology 
uh, setups and the market dynamics in that report and that's uh, summarized in the briefing this month. And we also have key takeaways from our insight report into reuse within the textile industry. Uh, this is the first in a planned series of reports where we'll be looking at reuse in various industrial sectors. We started with the textile industry because it's widely regarded as being one of the most significant sources of industrial wastewater globally. Um, part of the reason is sheer volume. Uh, the UN estimates 93 billion cubic metres of water annually. Uh, and the other is the nature of textile water, uh, wastewater. It's very variable and between 50 and 95% of the dyes used are fixated on the fabric. Mm -hmm. So that means up to half of these dyes, often synthetic dyes, are discharged either to wastewater treatment plants or directly into the environment. So add to this the variability in the characteristics of wastewater and you've got a significant challenge. So our report looks at the market barriers and drivers to reuse in textiles uh, and particularly the toughening regulations in China and India. Also uh, in this briefing tag expert Bill Toffey uh, has a review of Dehydrus Ultra, the uh, technology from Suez which provides uh, what they call ultra dewatering of municipal sludge. Uh, they can get to 60 to 70 percent total sludge, sludge content, total solids content, sorry. Uh, this is a key component of Suez's offering of energy positive circular economy wastewater treatment, uh, which it's pioneering at its uh, biofactory in Chile. It's a very early stage technology, but it does show some promise. Uh, and also uh, highlights from the patent tracker this month uh, include Veolia's uh, version of uh, closed circuit desalination which of course was popularised by Desalitec. And we have uh, our usual range of tracker snapshots, which this month range from predictive analytics to prevent flood events, to uh, iron exchange media uh, made from rice hulls. And finally, uh, we feature a fascinating article from tag expert Jim Cosman, which updates our insight report on ballast water from 2017. Uh, now when we released that report, we predicted uh, a regulation-driven market that would be worth up to $28 billion in capital spending on ballast water treatment systems. And just as we published that report, there was a two-year delay in the implementation of the rules. Now they were finally implemented in September, so uh, in theory there should be no more delays and we foresee a, a five-year market window which, in which the uh, companies which have hung in there throughout the changes and delays will be rewarded for their perseverance. So that's a very interesting market that's about to take off there. It is very interesting indeed and quite often in water you see that particularly early stage companies it's quite difficult for them to hang on till regulations kick in. It's very difficult. I mean, we saw something similar with the effluent limit guidelines and, you know, the ELG limits in, in the US where regulations didn't quite come in and a lot of companies that were catering to the selenium removal market just ran out of funding and just fell off the scene. Um, so it is quite a challenging, uh, challenging market. But interestingly, um, talking about Jim Cosman's article there on, on UV LED, um, we've heard news on Ray Vio as well, which I mentioned earlier in the podcast. Um, Great. Thanks very much, Reese. And we'll be back with 20, in 2020 with, with um, some of your editor's top picks for reports that we finished for this That's year. Right. So that'd be interesting to, to hear. Um, and also our plan for 2020. Indeed. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Merry Christmas and thanks very much. You too. Thanks, Divya. And finally, to end the year on a high, I'm delighted to share with you that we have completed production of the upcoming water documentary Brave Blue World. It's been an incredible journey to uncover and explore a series of stories that collectively tell a more 
hopeful and optimistic story about, about how we can address global water challenges. Over the past 11 months, we've completed filming on five continents, meeting with pioneers and innovators at the front lines of addressing global water and sanitation challenges, and have really captured their stories. Together, these stories represent, in our view, lighthouses in the brave blue world journey. We've completed production and post-production and are excited to be gearing up for the film launch. So... If we can, at all, before the end of the year, tempt you to step away from Netflix and immerse yourself in a world of inspiring stories in water, let us know. You will get the full Hollywood experience in LA on Monday the 16th of December at the Paramount Theatre. If you're interested to attend, feel free to get in touch with us. We would be delighted to welcome you to Hollywood. With that, I'd like to bring this podcast to a close. It's been an absolute pleasure hosting the show and we'll be back for more content in 2020. I'd like to wish all our clients and their families the very best for the holiday season and a happy new year.